Welcome to Geeks and Jocks Podcast. Hello, welcome back to Geeks and Jocks. Welcome to 2021. This is Ryan Sullivan recording into the late hours of January 4th and into January 5th, 2021. Thank you for listening in. Before I get into this episode, this podcast is on anchor.fm. It's also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Breaker. So, we are now into 2021. Hopefully, we can see a beacon of light. You know, and hopefully with some optimism, things are going to go back onto the up and up. Especially with how 2020 went, with pandemic and everything in between. Not a good year for a lot of people, and I don't blame them. So for this episode, <sighs> the holidays are over, and I, I think I said this in the last episode or two, but seeing Valentine's Day stuff already. Yeah, before I get fully into it what I want to talk about. I mean, can't this wait a little bit? And honestly, are people even really going to go out somewhere next month? I mean, I mean there should be a lot of concern. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing, I mean, it's capitalism, but it's like you got to lower the expectations that everyone's just simply going to get you know, cards and do all the, you know, chocolates and all that stuff. I mean, nice gestures, don't get me wrong, but still. So, small rant aside, so for this episode, talk about an actual console from KFC, and I wish I was, I wish I was joking. This was something I've been wanting to bring up, like, in the last week or two. Um, Movies I watched in 2020. Yes, I actually did go see movies in theaters. (laughs) Um, And sports and maybe one or two other things. Definitely going to be talking about the huge mess of what the uh, Philadelphia Eagles did. Definitely a lot of backlash regarding it. So, I might as well begin with uh, with the movies. So, 2020, I saw six movies in the theater. A couple of these were from 2019. They released around the end of it. Uh, They were limited, but they didn't go nationwide until the start of 2020. So, two from 2019 and four from 2020. Not a whole lot. I'll probably try to explain it. some of them without trying to spoil much on them. So, the first movie I saw was Uncut Gems, and it's the small film with Adam Sandler. He plays a jewelry store guy, and he has a lot of vices. He likes to drink, he likes to get, get hooked on drugs, bet like bet on sports and a million other things and it's 
he's in connections, I believe, like the mob, where he owes them money and makes a deal with uh, Kevin Garnett, played by himself. His championship ring, and actually this is set in uh, 2012, so this is right around when he was still pretty healthy and playing well with the Boston Celtics. Uh, his ring in exchange for a diamond that was like brought in from like Africa, and it there's a couple parts in the movie where it's like they have like this great visual shot of like specific parts regarding like the, the gem of that rock, and lots of you know lots of crazy things ensue with um, Sandler's character Howard and. I would say not his greatest performance, but it's a bit. It's better compared to a number of the films that he's done. And this is, and this is like a. This is a drama, by the way, not a not a comedy by any means. And the acting's very New York like. I don't know what else really say. It's I I found it to be good, but. I'm not sure how well this will hold up in five, ten years' time. So the next movie I saw after that was 1917. And that movie interests me a, a, a little bit. It it was just... It, it stood out because it was a World War One movie. And about a, about a year... Or like right around when they filmed that movie in like 2018, it was around the end of World War One, and from what I read, it was like a tribute from uh, director Sam Mendes. You know, his grandfather was in uh, World War One, and the story is basically two two soldiers who have to give a message. To a colonel who is gonna have sixteen hundred sixteen hundred men attack the Germans, and and they need to tell him no, don't do it. Now the way this movie was made, and what was kind of impressive about it was it was filmed as if it was like one long shot which it wasn't. And so they I mean they do some transitions that were pretty good altogether. Like they it there's a few parts you'll see where obviously you'll see the cut, but the transitions very smooth for the most part and it they must have had a really tough time like filming because I mean that kind of stuff requires a lot of choreography and the and the cinematography you know, is well well done. The sound direction is strong. The acting is is better than you think. It it doesn't rely on on a lot of violence. You get some action here and there, but it's like it, it moves at a pretty good pace. Like no no filler or anything like that. They they get to point A to point B. They don't go overboard. Well made, worthy of winning awards that it, that it had. Um, 
Really, really good movie, 1917. So the next movie I saw, this was a kid's film actually, but it's based on one of my favorite game franchises, Sonic the Hedgehog. I have always been a fan of Sonic. Always loved the uh, Genesis games, liked Sonic CD. Uh, played here and there some of the games of the last tw- of the last twenty years. And you know, mixed results. Uh, Unleashed wasn't as bad as I thought, though not as great. Generations I thought was pretty good. Uh, Sonic Rivals I-, I thought was decent. Uh, Sonic Mania, one of their best games um, in recent memory. Tried a little bit of forces. I thought it was decent from the few, from the few levels that I played. I remember hearing the the backlash for the movie when it came out. Not when, not when it came out, actually, when it was revealed, and a lot of it had to do with the uh, Sonic design and a little creepy. Yeah, but I didn't think it, I didn't think it was that horrible. But they cleaned it up, and for the most part, it looked pretty good. You know, kind of like modern, like combo, like a modern and a classic Sonic type thing. Kind of looked like a puppet sometimes too. Uh, But basically, Sonic comes to Earth, lives in Green Hills, Montana. He wants to have a friend, and he finds that in the form of a police officer named Tom. And Tom wants to do big things, you know, in big in a big city, you know, where he can feel like he's doing a service to to his town. And Sonic, with all his loneliness, uh, causes a huge power outage when he's at a baseball diamond and just goes really, really fast. It's like a, it's like, it's like Back to the Future, a nu- like a very much like a nuclear reaction, <laughs> and that brings in uh, Doctor Robotnik, and now it becomes a a race against the clock to get Sonic back to his to his own place and get whatever possessions that he had that he lost because of of Tom. Uh, for the most part, it's a goofy comedy. That's 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 the best way I could say it. Uh, James Marsden as as Tom, uh, the big one being Jim Carrey as as Doctor Robotnik, and this is if this movie was made like twenty five years ago, twenty years ago, I, I think a lot of people would have gone nuts with with Jim Carrey because you you look at Dumb and Dumber, you look at Liar Liar, and some of these other movies from the mid to late 90s, like, this would have been in his wheelhouse. And it it's that craziness of, like, the mid to late 90s that, for, for modern times, and it, and it works great with, with the direction he had with Robotnik. You know, he's very serious, and there's also goofiness, and it's similar to how he's portrayed in the games, in the cartoons, several of the cartoons. Uh, Sonic, for the most part, yeah, I, I've seen better, but you know what? He he wasn't annoying. That was the one thing. He wasn't too annoying, and it's 
not really any no filler stuff either. It the CGI was was really was really good, uh, decently written. It's a movie I I would show kids. It's a PG film, but it still I would I don't think kids would be pissed about it. I, I think fans would like it too. So yeah, I'd say give it a watch. So. The next film, this is the first time in a long time I've watched a movie in the theater with with my father, and that was Impractical Jokers, the movie. So, my first experience with Impractical Jokers, as far as like watching anything of them, was back in 2015, and it was one of the shows that my younger brother started watching and it 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 was one of those shows that we got into f- for about a good year or so and it was it was funny and i've i've it, it tapered off after a year for me but i was but a lot of it i think i, I was more interested in like the highlights of the uh, you know the stuff they did the challenges uh the punishments really i think the highlight is the punishments especially with some that involve like uh Joe or or Sal or Q Q and Mer like like a number of them I find you know hilarious. So this movie this didn't have like a huge release altogether. I mean it did go into m- many parts of the, of the country, but it it's basically just an extended version of the show, and that's a good thing. So. There is story to it, and my impression of it is that it it went the route similar to to Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa. You have real reactions, but you have scripted stuff at the same time. So, all four Jokers, Q, Sal, Joe, and Murr, they go to a Paul Abdul concert. They pose as security guards, and they get themselves in trouble and cause a... <laughs> They cause a riot at the concert, and um, Abdul wants revenge for that. And the five of them meet again at a at a restaurant, and she wants them to come to Miami for a concert that she's doing. The thing is, there's only three lanyards, so it's it's they'll be doing challenges as they take their road trip to Florida. Uh, to Miami, I believe. So it, and basically, you get what the show is known for: doing reactions from from people around them and trying to embarrass each other by saying certain things. And if they refuse to do certain things or say certain things, they lose. And they do a pretty good job of giving each Joker a good amount of screen time. They they provide enough moments to where each one has their moments. It's funny with some of the stuff, you know, especially when you have you know like a scene where uh, Murr is at a strip club and he's getting like a getting like a lap dance, I believe, and. It's his birthday, so they have a one-way mirror 
or not, not a one-way mirror. It's they have like a thing that they're hiding. It's a mirror or like a wall, and in it is Merv's family, like a lot of cousins and you know nieces and nephews, or like brothers and sisters. I forget. Yeah, like another one is um, like Joe hiding out as like a monster in a cave, being down there for thirty years. <laughs> But it it moves at a pretty good pace, and it does does a good job of of staying to what the show did. That's that's the best way I could say it. So, um, not for everyone though. You, if you're a fan of the show, you'll definitely love it. If you're not, I would skip it. Moving on uh, to the last two. Uh, next one, Call of the Wild. So I remember reading this book long ago. This was like, probably like, well, over 15 years ago. And it's, it's, it's an interesting story. So this, so it, it's about this dog named Buck. And he's a pampered dog in, in Santa Clara. And this is, based on author Jack London's experiences in the Yukon. And this is right around when the gold rush was happening in the Yukon, and they need need dogs to run the sled. So Buck gets kidnapped and taken to to the Yukon, and he has adventures, a lot of, you know, good moments, bad moments, uh, his interactions with uh, John Thornton, and like with a number of number of books, um, it's altered a bit, um, it, and they they definitely give a little focus to um, to John Thornton, played by Harrison Ford, and he does a reasonable job of playing this playing this has been type guy who tried to strike it big, and not the best luck in the world, but you. There's a bit of sympathy as you see through the film, and some alterations, especially with the second half of the of the, of the film. Uh, the film altogether it, it ran by pretty well as far as like a length time. They did mess with a couple things. There weren't any deaths of anybody. There was a couple other parts, but otherwise, I, I I thought it was a strong movie. It it was better than what I thought it would be, and it's, you know it's a decent decent musical score, uh, pretty obvious CGI, and knowing how PETA is, I wouldn't be surprised if there were parts that um, that that they couldn't do unless they had like someone doing like the parts as a dog. And putting in the CGI, but some of those effects are actually really good. But yeah, uh, Call of the Wild, I thought it was a great movie. So the last movie I saw, and this was about a week before the pandemic uh, really closed things down in New York, and that is um, Onward. So I like Pixar. I think a lot of their movies are pretty good. I do think a few are overrated, like The Incredibles. 
my thought onward is that it was a disappointing movie. I was not impressed, and it, like the sad thing with this movie is that it this should be this should be a fun film. And a lot of it is, I think, is hurt by the first half of it. The thing is, it's it's centered around magic. I mean, magic ruled the world, and as technology came about, it became nothing. And it's centered around two brothers, Ian and Barley, played by uh, Tom Holland and, and Chris Pratt. Uh, you know they're doing their own stuff, yeah, and they find this magic book, and they w- want to, they want to meet their father. You know, hasn't been around in a long time, and Ian finds a way to make the spell work, but it's only like half of the dad's body, so they need to get another gem from a lengthy place and and use it very quickly because in 24 hours the spell ends and they won't see the dad again and there's some funny stuff at points but it's just it it, it was not executed well altogether I was I was bored like that the first half of the movie was just a bore fest and uh, maybe just the way the script was it kind of cringy too it's just that like nothing about it felt felt organic or anything like that. And it's a shame because it I know that I know Tom Holland's pretty much being exploited to be the next big guy considering he's done Spider Man and a couple other Disney projects. Uh, Uncharted from Sony, that's gonna come out at some point, I would think, either this year or next year. I'll have to double check on that. I know I talked about that a while ago. And some of the, it just feels like the performances are wasted, especially with, like I said, with Holland, uh, Chris Pratt, uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus as the mother. I mean, just, it, it, I don't know if they were trying to go like a different route or something, or try to be something similar to Up, but it just didn't have that emotion or any like big humor that worked. I mean, a couple parts that were funny, but. Yeah, that was the last movie I saw prior to the uh, pandemic. So I think the big question for me, would there be any point where I'll see a movie in 2021 in the theater? Man. I might, might have to come to a point where I might have to say it might not happen. I don't want to say that, but it could. It could happen. Last time I didn't, last year I didn't see a movie in a theater was back in 2015, and I, for the most part, I think that might that might have been the only year I, I saw I didn't see any movies in theaters. As hard as that is to believe, <laughs> trying to think. So 2010, yeah, like all but 2015. So 2010, I got back into seeing movies in theaters, seeing. Jackass 3D and Little Fockers. 2011, this was more so watching it with my niece. Uh, Hop. 2012, don't remember seeing too many movies, but uh, Amazing Spider Man and Ted. Uh, Wreck It Ralph. 
don't remember seeing anything other than Anchorman 2 in 2013. Uh, Dumb and Dumber 2 in 2014. And then what got me back into watching movies again in the theater was um, a driving experience of seeing uh, Finding Dory, but the movie I wanted to see was Central Intelligence. And it was... Now, I watched a few films in 2013... Not 2013... 2017. Watch a few movies, but 2018, especially after watching uh, Super Troopers uh, 2, then pretty much watched, if I had to guess, probably around 40 movies within a two-year, within a two-year range. Damn. I mean, I like movies. I, I like the idea of seeing a movie in the theater, and that's one of the things you know I I talked about um, in the last episode was the 16.6 million of Wonder Woman 1984, and for its second weekend now, it was kind of a kind of a bust a little bit. Now there were some numbers I saw, and I'm not sure if that's if these numbers are true. But altogether, it's made over 118 million, and the budget for that movie is 200 million. And I think it's just—I said this before—it's a sequel that not a lot of people are impressed with. You know, maybe they don't like the direction that Patty Jenkins with went went to, and this could spell some interesting news. Uh, you know when. The Justice League director's cut comes out, and a couple other DC comic book movies, and that's the stuff that I'm going to be very curious about. You know, some people. This there was an article on CNET on whether or not, you know, if, if it was the fact that it opened on Christmas Day, if that hurt a little bit. Which, I mean, we're in a pandemic for for goodness sake. I mean. Maybe some theaters might be open, but for probably a decent amount of the country, they're not open. And, of course, HBO Max, I didn't realize until looking that up like an hour ago, free of charge. No cost to it. I'm, that that surprises me a little bit. I would think for all the stuff regarding HBO Max, they would have charged maybe 10 to $20. Then again, they probably won't face the kind of backlash that Disney was doing by charging $30 for for uh, Mulan back in the summer. And actually, you know what? There's some other stuff going on with uh, MGM, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. So MGM has been around for <clears throat> a very long time. They've been around since, I believe, the 20s. And this was right around when you had all these companies starting to show up. Paramount, Universal, uh, not sure when Warner Brothers formed, but probably probably in the 30s. Uh, 20th Century Fox, like the, the 20s and 30s were an inter- interesting time. And MGM, you know, they had, you know, hits here and there. I mean, Wizard of Oz in 39, you had the various cartoons that they worked on. Tom and Jerry being their biggest work. 
I think uh, several other stuff like working with companies like United Artists, releasing films like Rocky. But their biggest name, of course, is through Eon Productions, I believe, and the James Bond movies. James Bond has been around since the, uh, at least the movies, since the 60s. And actually next year, uh, Dr. No turns 60. But it's an interesting thing to talk about because I believe MGM was looking for like uh, something to like stream their stuff, I believe. And that should be something that I would like to keep my keep my eyes on because something from I think they're looking for stuff like like streaming. That's I don't blame them because there's there's a good market out there. And as far as like studios go, even with James Bond, MGM's not really not really a big studio compared to some of these other ones. And they're not you don't really see their movies hitting theaters. You don't see a lot of them and I mean there's been a number of their properties that have been taken by other companies you know, from certain sales, I think there's like certain, like, like Warner Brothers has like a certain number of their movies from like the early days up until I want to say like the early eighties, mid eighties, I want to say. And I mean, they're looking, they're looking to get into the TV streaming and the, the guardian articles was like looking for like a $5 billion sale. And that was from like a couple of weeks ago. Right now, I mean, the boom for TV is there, and, you know, these apps that have been showing up over the last year or two, I mean, they're all trying to compete with each other, and there's been price increases on several things, like uh, Netflix, I believe Hulu had an increase in price, and, you know, this is the kind of stuff people wanted to avoid after cutting cable. They want to avoid paying very high prices just to watch just to watch the the properties and shows and movies that they wanted to see maybe we're heading to that point where people are going to start paying more and more for streaming and I don't know maybe it might get to that point where people are going to start paying probably 50 bucks maybe not immediate I'm, I'm just just saying, uh, 50 bucks a month probably at some point. Hopefully it doesn't get that high. But knowing how studios are and all that, it probably will happen. I mean, it, it, it's sad. It, it's, it's really, really sad if that were to happen. And it probably will happen. Not sure it will happen in 10 years, 20 years, or after our lifetimes. Who knows? <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't happen. So yeah, that was that was about it for like movies. The only thing I could think of for television is really just CBS shutting down production on some of their shows because of COVID. I mean, it's still California's not exactly a good place to live in right now. I mean, they're trying their best, but 
you have some of those places, I think like uh, it was like Santa Barbara or Santa Clara, they had to shut down sports for a while. That's why the uh, 49ers had to play some of their games in uh, Arizona. They had like three games there, one of which they were actually supposed to be there to uh, face the Cardinals. I'll definitely be talking some some Arizona and a couple other teams as we move on to to sports, mostly the NFL, and probably talk that and talk. I'll probably save the big thing for last, but essentially the playoffs are set. All 256 games of the regular season were done, and so just to talk some notable notable stuff. Tennessee Titans against the Houston Texans, which I'll get into. Uh, Colts had a, had a big game. Uh, Miami got eliminated from the playoffs. So we'll, so we'll start with um, one of the non-playoff team games. Uh, Minnesota versus Detroit. Big shootout game. Minnesota edges out Detroit. Kirk Cousins has a huge game. Uh, Alexander Mattinson... Madison, pretty good replacement altogether. Matthew Stafford, if this is truly his last game in Detroit, he ended it on a pretty good note stat-wise with 293 and three scores and one pick. Rushing touchdowns by uh, Adrian Peterson and DeAndre Swift. Marvin Jones had a huge game. Stafford will end his career with Detroit, well, end his time with Detroit if he is gone, with 45,000 yards. I don't think anyone will eclipse his stats anytime soon because it probably will be, if if he does go, it will probably be simple. It will be like what happened with, with Barry Sanders. No one has come close to replicating what he's done. And 45,000 yards, eclipse. Eclipsed that um, yesterday. 282 sc- touchdowns, 144 picks. So this is pretty good for being the uh, number one pick altogether. 2020, 4,000 plus yards, 26 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Been pretty good with uh, cutting down on the interceptions since uh, 2012 and 2013. Actually, 2013. Nope, never mind. His rookie year, he had 20 picks. But 19 was the second highest in uh, 2013. 4,000 yards or more in all but two years since 2011. I mean, someone's going to want him. Someone will definitely want him. Who, Where he goes, I don't know. Maybe he goes... I mean, New England will probably be looking for somebody. Denver will probably be looking for somebody. Hard, hard knowing, hard telling, not knowing. So, Tampa Bay against Atlanta. Big game for uh, Tom Brady. 399 and four scores. Ronald Jones ran the ball pretty well. That'll definitely be one of the big things to look at um, when they play their playoff game. If the run game can hold its own and if uh, Mike Evans can be healthy, I believe he had like a knee injury in the finale. 
but they are the number five seed in the in the uh, NFC. Matt Ryan ends ends his season on a decent note. Two sixty five, two scores. Safe to say that the last month or two was not kind to Todd Gurley. I don't know how long he's with the team after this year, or if it was just a one year deal, I don't know. But it could be safe to say that his time could be could be something that they're going to look at. Maybe he goes somewhere else. Actually, I want to look that up. Actually, uh, because I mean that because he he looked good early in the year, and then you got some of these other guys like uh, Ito Smith uh, being there, and so yeah, one year. One year, five point five million. Actually, I think seven point five million with five point five. Is that two million uh, signing bonus? Five point five guaranteed. Dang. I mean, I don't know if there's anything. I mean, I know he has. I know he has leg issues. I know that, but. I mean, I don't know if Atlanta wants to keep him or get him a new contract or anything like that, but that's, I mean, it's a tough sell, I mean, especially considering his production, you know, still a good touchdown production guy, but I don't know. New England ends their season 7-9 and with a win against the New York Jets. What else is new? Definitely a lot of question marks will be asked on uh, what happens with the uh, with the Jets. Uh, they just fired Adam Gase, so that that wasn't a huge surprise. The run game wasn't really all that all that great, and obviously New England th- throwing for four touchdowns, three from uh, Cam Newton. Newton led them in rushing as well. Uh, a lot of question marks. Oh, Cam Newton actually received a touchdown. So, threw a touchdown, ran a touchdown, received a touchdown. So, probably his last game as a Patriot, and it ends on a good note. Definitely a lot of questions to be asked about what happens next after, as this offseason goes, and who New England goes after, because there's no way they're keeping Jarrett Stidham or Brian Hoyer, or Newton, or any of them. I mean, there might be a point where uh, where Bill Belichick will probably have to look at who could be reasonable and maybe want, you know, a decent contract, you know, something that isn't going to be expensive, and that way they can center it around their quarterback and maybe just get some talent. Like draft a draft a receiver, draft a tight end, or just you know some of these guys um, on the offensive line will come back as well because they opted out. But there's a lot to there's a lot to develop and and fix as if you're New England, and I, and I think Belichick knows that. You know maybe next year they they look better, but the quarterback situation they need a quarterback. 
Jets are definitely going to need a quarterback as well. And that I would say not having, not getting Trevor Lawrence will probably be a good thing. It's just something with their quarterbacks. They just, they just falter. And speaking of faltering, what a disaster of a game the Miami Dolphins had getting destroyed 56 to 26 against the Buffalo Bills. Bills being the number two seed in the AFC. Two or three picks despite 361 and one score. That run game did not do anything good at all. Defense got a couple picks though, but all things considered, even with being eliminated, 10-6 is pretty good for for Miami, especially for anything that you've seen over the last 20 years. Crazy. Matt Barkley actually threw the ball decently. Uh, Josh Allen had his time to play a little bit. They had their secondary guys, their second-string guys in offensively. I mean... Rush the players. I mean, they're gonna have a they're gonna have a field day when they face the Colts. Definitely be curious about that game. Actually, definitely talk more about the uh, about the playoff games. Cleveland gets into the playoffs for the first time since 2002. Competitive game altogether. Edged out the Steelers. Mason Rudolph started. Ben Roethlisberger arrested. Definitely a lot of questions to be said about the run game, though. That will be the the big question mark as they face each other next week. So, <laughs> man, but it'll be in Pittsburgh, obviously. Um, Rudolph played played rather well, and some of their guys wound up having decent games altogether. You know, can it click together when they have Roethlisberger back to face uh, Cleveland? Baker Mayfield gets his first taste of playoff action. Nick Chubb getting to over a thousand yards with his game, over a hundred yards rushing and score. Jarvis Landry having a little bit of fun getting into the end zone as a running as a rusher. Definitely be a lot of jitters for the Cleveland Browns. Kevin Stefanski better be ready. <laughs> A lot of disappointment in Dallas. Dallas Giant game. Considering uh, Ezekiel Elliott didn't really run the ball that well. Andy Dalton was actually the leading rusher. Now, I believe for Dallas, they're going to keep Dak Prescott. So, I don't know what this will mean for, uh, for Dalton. I kind of think of him as a guy that could be in New England. Get him like a decent contract. You have him there. You get receivers. You get tight ends. They got a run game. It's just a matter of just staying healthy and utilizing some of that talent. So Elliott will end the season 21 yards shy of uh, 1,000. His worst season since uh, 2017 when he was suspended for six games. That was kind of... I don't think he got busted. I I, I don't know what happened. I feel like he got busted in 2017. I might be wrong on that, actually. 
But you know what? Still, I mean, for what he's done five years with Dallas, I mean, 6,300 yards and 46 scores and definitely catching the ball a bit. 50-plus 50, 50 catches again for a third straight year. So there's some uptick, but still not but still not great altogether. Uh, you know what? They, New York ran the ball decently. Daniel Jones ends his season on a, on a decent note. Uh, 11 touchdowns, 10, 10 picks, but 2,800 yards altogether. Wayne Gallman, I don't know if the Giants will keep him or not. But he definitely has some... He definitely has reason to be a backup for the team. And some people are questioning on whether or not Mike McCarthy should challenge a late catch that led to a field goal with, from Graham Gano. I mean, that's one of those things. It's like, you know what, it... It'd be hard to determine. But both teams end at a 6-10 and 10 record. Baltimore, pretty obvious win against uh, Cincinnati. They just ran the ball. They just ran it down, uh, down uh, Cincinnati's throat. So, 160-257. And J.K. Dobbins actually had a pretty good game. I mean, this is really, really good. 160 and two scores. Jackson, Lamar Jackson made it to uh, over a thousand yards rushing again. So that's two fifty-seven, three seventeen from uh, with the sixty from Gus Edwards. So Mark Ingram with thirty-nine, two fifty-seven, three seventeen, three fifty-six, three seventy-eight, three nine. 404 yards. I mean, I, I knew they made it to like 400 yards rushing. I saw something on that. That is crazy. Cincinnati did that like 20 years ago against somebody. They're run, they ran the ball okay with, with a couple of their running backs, but Brandon Allen, man. They'll be wanting Joe Burrow back. I don't know if he'll play next year or not, but yeah, that's just, that's that's nuts how bad that was. So, next game, Colts beat the Jaguars. Mike Glennon actually played pretty well, but the run game didn't. They didn't even try running the ball. Their best guy was like 50 yards. But, a pedestrian game for Phillip Rivers and the Colts, but Jonathan Taylor, 253 yards and two scores. He eclipsed over 1,000 yards, joins uh, Edgar and James, I believe as the only pair of running backs for for rookie Colt players in terms of rushing for over a thousand. The numbers ain't as strong for him compared to James, but still pretty good considering they had Marlon Mack out the entire year. I think the big question will be how well uh the Colts will be with Rivers under center in the playoffs. That's going to be a huge question mark heading into uh, heading into this weekend. Jaguars, I think, I mean, no doubt they'll, they'll be getting Trevor Lawrence. I would think they're going to get Lawrence. I think he, I think he would work decently with them. So Tennessee, how about this game? Ryan Tannehill, not a great game passing, but why Why not run the ball? 
38 yards rushing and two scores. But the big highlight being Derrick Henry with 250 yards and two scores and eclipsing 2,000 yards. So the Tennessee Titans are the very first franchise to have multiple running backs with 2,000 yards in a season. Chris Johnson did that in 2009, and Derrick Henry did this over the weekend. Pretty good accomplishment in being the eighth player to to do that. And his resume has been pretty good over the last two-plus seasons. Now, they have Baltimore as a favorite against uh, Tennessee, but I'll talk about that talk about that later you know Texans you know what they they played with pride Deshaun Watson had a really good game altogether David Johnson you know ends his season on a decent note Brandon Cook's really good for this game just just a big shootout and Tennessee almost blew it by the way so uh, I mean you know, come back and, and win it. Los Angeles Rams back in the playoffs. Ankle issues for Kyler Murray of the Cardinals. Run game wasn't anywhere, but 8-8 eight eight altogether. I mean, that's not horrible. could be worse. And the question will be, will, um, will the run game be back in true form and Jared Goff being back? going to be a huge matchup when they face, I believe, the Seahawks. New Orleans Saints, Drew Brees having a heck of a game. Ty Montgomery, a strong replacement with uh, Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray out with COVID. That will be one of the interesting things if they'll be ready to suit up on uh, Sunday, I believe. But Ty Montgomery had a had a big game, over 100 yards rushing. Uh, Taysom Hill got a touchdown as usual. Touchdowns from Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook. You get you get them clicking all together. I mean, this could be a Super Bowl caliber team. Now, this is a team that I could think win the Super Bowl, and that is Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers, another big season win. 240 and four scores, 48 touchdowns total for the year. Uh, passing, that's the best he's done ever. Surpassed what he did in 2011. Aaron Jones got himself a score. Mitch Trubisky, uh, outside of the pick, not a, not a huge game altogether, 252 in passing. They need David Montgomery to really be good when they face uh, New Orleans. But they're in the playoffs. I think it's just a matter of uh, I think it's just a matter of what will happen next. I figure if Matt Nagy didn't get in the playoffs, he'd be fired. I mean, he could still be fired after the playoffs, but who knows. Uh, Actually, the Jaguars parted ways with uh, Doug Marone. So they're on the hunt for a new head coach. And actually, I believe Daryl Bevel might have been fired as the interim coach. Uh, Atlanta's going to be looking for a coach as well. I don't think Raheem Morris. I mean, maybe Raheem Morris interviews or something. I don't know. Speaking of interviews, 
there's a pretty good resume for uh, Eric Bieniemy based on what he's done for Kansas City over the last couple of years. So obviously they rested their starters. They lost to um, the L.A. Chargers. Kind of a meaningless game because no one was going to catch up to them. So obviously resting Mahomes is going to probably help a little bit. Resting their running backs. Chargers put up a put up a good game altogether. Justin Herbert with over 30 touchdowns, which is a rookie record. I believe 31, 31 or 32. Some uptick in showing other guys playing. You know, like the the Justin Jackson guy, but not enough to save Anthony Lynn from getting fired. I don't think. I think just really the last couple of years have been a disappointment for the Chargers. And kind of an embarrassment in 2016 when they gave the Browns their only win. Seattle edges uh, San Francisco in what basically became a big fourth quarter shootout. Russell Wilson had his had a, had a pedestrian game altogether. Still hard fought game altogether with the run game of Chris Carson. They just need to show up when they face the uh, Rams. The 49ers had themselves a decent game altogether, end the season on a bitter note. 6-10, and ten, I mean, what else can you really do? It's This is going to be a year they probably wish never existed because of COVID and multiple other things. The question probably will be, what, they, what do they do with some of their big-name players. Could they part ways with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo? I could see it happening. I, you know, I could see someone like Matthew Stafford playing there, if I'm being honest. Las Vegas Raiders edge out uh, Denver. 8-8, eight and eight, 500 under John Gruden. Derek Carr, a couple scores, but a couple picks. The running of Josh Jacobs, and actually one of the things I'll get into for a brief second, he got arrested for uh, DUI hours after they won. So that's just, he's still a young guy, but he's got to learn. DUI, this is from places like uh, Bleach Report, (sighs) Car Crash, Single car crash. Man. I mean, it's one thing to celebrate, but he better... He better learn his lesson. I think... Because the Raiders have had issues, I think, with some of their guys with, like, drinking issues. I mean, Jacobs had a pretty good game altogether. Darren Waller had another huge, huge game. Denver... I mean, they ran the ball with uh, with Melvin Gordon. Drew Locke ends his season on a good note, d- despite how me- despite the mediocrity he had at times. A lot of questions for uh, Denver as they go into the off season. So here comes the big game that I'll be t- talking about a little bit: Philadelphia versus Washington. So Washington won twenty to fourteen. They're in the playoffs. They're the, they're the team that represents the NFC East. 
they are going to be facing Tampa Bay on Saturday night. And Alex Smith did not have a good game, but he did throw a couple touchdowns. Antonio Gibson ran the ball ran the ball well. But a lot of questions will be asked on uh, Philadelphia in terms of Jalen Hurts, who kept them in the game. I think they were down like 17-0, 10-0. And, and he ran for two scores. Boston Scott actually played played with a lot of carries, 65 yards. For some of these guys, it's gonna it could potentially be the last game in their time with Philadelphia. Guys like Jason Kelsey, Zach Ertz, Carson Wentz. But the big thing is what I think has bothered a lot of people, and it goes beyond Giant fans because. When you play a game, you're playing with pride in a losing effort, in, a, in a losing season. You want to end the season on a decent note. And I don't know where this will go for Philadelphia, but this is going to be one of those things that is going to drive people up a wall. So fourth quarter, Jalen Hurts didn't have a he didn't have a good game other than the two rushing touchdowns. So fourth and fourth and goal, they they go for it instead of tying tying the game with a field goal. And this has been something that's been common with Coach Doug Peterson going for it on fourth down. And a number of times it's worked. A number of times it's bitten them in the ass. So they go for it, and I believe the receiver is wide open, but he didn't catch it. And so the next drive, Peterson. Benches went not went uh, benches Jalen Hurts in favor of Nate Sudfeld, someone who hadn't threw threw a pass in three seasons, and Sudfeld threw an interception. Next drive, he fumbles it, and that's going to be a punch in the face for a guy like uh, like Jim Schwartz, who actually is taking a year off of football. He might consider retiring, or he might come back and coach it, coach for another team. He he's not a horrible coach, but it's just he never has any consistency, and it's a shame that his one of his better efforts with Philadelphia's defense, and they made some big plays. They made plays when they needed to, and the sad thing is it it undervalues what why this win is important for a guy like for, for Ron Rivera and Alex Smith. For Rivera, it's how rough his year was in terms of having cancer and going through chemo. I mean, I mean, seeing that with one of my family members right now, I mean, that's the kind of stuff it's like you rally around a guy like Ron Rivera. I mean, he's been around football for a long time part of the 85 Bears team that won the Super Bowl when he was a linebacker. Revived the Carolina Panthers. Got them to the Super Bowl in 2015. And when you talk about Alex Smith, the comeback trail that he's been on this year following his devastating leg injury a couple years ago. And this was something that was brought up 
on several sites, and it's due to... This is actually cute, by the way, from... This was something that um, Alex Smith's wife, Elizabeth, did. And seen a couple images of her. She's beautiful, by the way. Now, this is something that I think is thought out pretty well with taking Alex's uh, leg brace that he had and getting a metal artist to convert it into a Vince Lombardi type trophy and have it serve as a reminder of what the couple went through because this is this is something that's like this this stuff is real and the two of them have a family and they've journeyed through the many years of what Smith has gone through over the last 10 years. I mean, whether his job security in San Francisco, getting knocked out with a concussion and not being able to start again because they love Kaepernick, the years in Kansas City, the early exits, the preparation for Pat Mahomes, and leading up to what happened a couple of years ago, it's just, you know, this is, this is, this is one couple you, you would have to love. And just the commitment they have to each other and what it means to be in the playoffs. But none of that's being discussed because we're talking about p- potential tanking of Philadelphia. Now, and I say this as a Giant fan, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm not upset being eliminated doesn't upset me because yeah there's a couple games the Giants could have won but they blew it but the elimination part doesn't bother me what bothers me is how they were eliminated and the way way Doug Peterson ran that fourth quarter and you know you you know you messed up when you have Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth berating the whole thing and it's something about like it's talking about the production meetings of wanting Sudfeld to play and if it was a blowout I would understand but it was a tight game and I believe the, the spread was like three points I think and if you wanted to have Sudfeld in why don't you just start him that way you you rest Hurts and prep him up for next year. Why not just do that instead of making it look like you are deliberately losing on purpose? And Sudfeld hadn't thrown a pass, like I said, in three years. Where's the logic in that? And the, the only thing I could see, and I could see it working, is moving from ninth or 10th pick to 6th overall pick for the upcoming draft. Because it does make a difference, I think, a little bit in getting someone that you really want. But it just feels so so hollow that you have former Eagle players even questioning what Peterson did. When you have a legend in Seth Joyner in and Brian Westbrook questioning the whole thing 
and a lot of people are upset. It's not it's not giant fans. All to, it's not all giant fans who are upset. It's really the league altogether, and, the, and many people across the country. And some people try to defend it by saying, "Oh, some of these guys are resting their players." Bullshit. That is bogus, man. That is not when when playoff teams rest their players, they don't want to lose their guys in week 17. They don't, especially if it's a non-factor. That's why Kansas City rested Mahomes and a number of their guys. What good is having them play? Then again, you do want guys playing 60 minutes at times, but this, I think, is going to be very toxic in Philadelphia and I think Sal Palantonio said it best that there needs to be an investigation. Now, I don't know what it would accomplish or anything, but I think there would be a lot of question marks. Is Why did you do this late in the game when you could have done this like early and let Sudfeld start? And if, if this was all on Peterson, then he's going to get ripped quite a bit on his own. If it's if this was a decision made by Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, and Peterson, then this organization is going to get get a lot of bashing, and not just from Giant fans, a lot of people across the league. And I'm sure there are going to be a number of teams that are going to mark when they're playing Philadelphia. And some of those players are going to be playing extra hard to knock Hurts out of the game, knock Miles Sanders, knock some of these guys out, and th- I mean there are I mean there were some issues with some of the Eagle players prior to the uh, prior to the game being played. I mean there were some health issues. I mean who the heck is gonna have Elshon Jeffrey play? He's been useless all year. Such a huge waste outside of the Super Bowl year. Deshaun Jackson hasn't done anything in his two years back with Philadelphia. I'm questioning the tight end thing, but for some of these guys, I don't know how you can live with that. Especially when some of these guys like Jason Kelsey, Zach Ertz, and Carson Wentz are potentially going to be gone after uh, after following this game. How do you live with that? How do the players live with that? Just and I think that's what bothers people. It's 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 not so much it's not so much losing that's the problem it's losing on purpose where do you go after that now i mean the draft pick probably could help but whoever gets drafted by philadelphia 6 overall they're going to have to expect a lot of booing and a lot of unwarranted hate because this is a guy that's going to have to live up to expectations. And if this falters, don't be surprised if you see Doug Peterson fired in a year or two. I mean, I think there needs to be an investigation. I think, Sal, like I said, I agree with Sal Palantonio. There needs to be an investigation. It's ridiculous. And I see people try to, like I said, I see people try to defend it in other ways. It's like, 
like, oh, you need to win, you need to win more than six games. Okay, nobody's disagreeing with that. Outside of maybe a, maybe some nuthead giant fans, but no one's a, no one's disagreeing with that. But it's just it leaves a sour taste in the league's mouth, and I doubt the NFL will look into it. Just just a really bad situation altogether. Ron Rivera saying he don't want to apologize. He's not even apologizing to any fans for winning. I don't blame him. I mean, it just—I mean—it's just a sour taste. So as far as the playoffs go for the first week, I believe it's New Orleans versus Chicago, depending on how well the run game is, and if they do get their guys back, I think New Orleans wins it easily. And again, I mean, we defenses can can win you a championship. I'm not saying they'll get the upset, but being in New Orleans, that run game's up up to snuff. No stopping New Orleans. Seahawks versus uh, the Rams, that's, that's going to be interesting. I think it could go either way, but with the way the Seahawks are playing right now, I'd say the edge goes to them. Honestly, I'm not sure if Jared Goff will even be... Uh, you, you would hope Jared Goff would be back. You would hope. I mean, that that's, that's going to be the million-dollar question for them. And the Wolfer guy actually played pretty well. They just need that run game to, to get clicking now. Uh, Tampa versus... Versus Washington, that should be very much a win for uh, Tampa. Nothing personal against Washington. I know they have a really good defense. But you really need that offense to work. And Alex Smith has had probably had a couple times where he's faced Tom Brady. And, I don't know, the odds don't seem to be in his favor. (laughs) That's at least how I'm going to... uh, Look at it. Buffalo versus Indy. I mean, what I'll say is that who has the better defense, who can run the ball better, and who I think Josh Allen has the edge over Rivers. Taylor has the advantage over Moss and Montgomery. It's I, I, the defenses I think are pretty equal. It's just a matter of who wants it better. Who wants to win it better. And, I don't know, I can, I can see the Colts playing upset. I can seriously see them playing upset. And then Cleveland versus Pittsburgh. I mean, I think the edge right now, if I had if I had to say something, I'd say Cleveland a little bit, actually. I actually think Cleveland could have a chance. They run the ball really well with uh, Nick Chubb, and the one-two punch with him and Kareem Hunt is 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 strong. You know, but the, the the big question will be all them jitters. That will be the main concern. Now, the main concern I think is for Pittsburgh just if they can just get that run game going. Too much inconsistency, and I, I mean, I like James Conner, but 
he's going to need like an 80-yard rushing performance and a, and a touchdown just to even have a a really strong playoff game. Trying to think if that's it for for the playoffs. Just want to double check. Oh, Ravens Titans. Forgot about that game. Honestly, I think the edge right now is is Tennessee. I know they. I think they're considering Baltimore favorite right now, but I don't know. I'm not. I'm not confident in Lamar Jackson. I mean, I mean he's he was good this year. Not as good compared to last year, but still a still a big threat. But I I just like Derrick Henry a lot more, and Tannehill did a lot better this year than I think many would realize. Then again, we do need to see how the defenses fare on both sides. Both can either keep keep teams out of the end zone, or they give up forty points. We can see that happen. Uh, so I think who I think will win. So Colts Bills, I think Bills win. Rams Seahawks, I think the Seahawks win. Uh, Buccaneers in Washington, Buccaneers should be a definite win. Uh, Ravens Titans, I think Tennessee wins. Uh, Saints Bears, I I think the Saints will win. And Browns Steelers, I think the Browns, I, I think the Browns can pull the upset. I actually think they can pull the upset. I'm not confident in Pittsburgh. I mean, I, I think they could win Pittsburgh, but I'm not feeling confident in them. And that's about it for football. One of the big things for uh, baseball is uh, some of the signings. Um, one of them is... Uh, what was it? Uh, you Darvish who actually pitched pretty well for Chicago um, last year, the Chicago Cubs, signing with the uh, San Diego Padres. And they also got, I believe, Blake Snell. So I think this is going to be an intriguing group. And I think San San Diego wants the division crown. And they're going to want more than that. They want to win that World Series. And getting some getting some good pitchers all together, they could really form a tight group pitching wise, along with some of them young bats that they have. I'll I'll call it. I think it's I think there's going to be a lot of hype for the uh, for the Padres. They just need to get over that edge. They need to get over. Over that that hill that 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 the Dodgers are on, and just I don't know. It just it, it it's hard to determine, and I actually would be curious to see what happens for uh, twenty uh, twenty twenty one because there's certain guys like uh, Masahiro Tanaka. He could be going. Either he stays with the Yankees, or he goes to uh, goes back to Japan, where he spent a decent amount of his career, you know, pitching in the Japanese leagues. Well, 
some other stuff like from the athletic uh, about baseball changing marijuana testing. So I don't know. Maybe they're trying to make sure that performance enhancing marijuana or something. I don't know. It's just it, marijuana is getting le- legalized in a number of states, but yeah. One of the big things now is a is Bianca Smith a is a minor league coach, the first black woman to be a coach in Major League Baseball. That I'm not sure how that will pan out, considering some of the stuff that Red Sox fans are known have been known for. But still, kind of a cold free agency altogether. I, I don't know if it's just testing out the waters or anything like that, but I don't know. It's just, this year was weird, and it's hard to know where some of these guys will be in terms of production and what kind of contracts they want. Honestly, I think there's going to be a lot of cut money out of all of it. And just, I don't know, not much else really for basketball. Just Warriors are having some big wins right now. Actually, Steph Curry had like a 60 game, like I had like a 62 point game and that was like the best he's done at any point in his uh, career. I think he like he beat it, like he edged that by like 10 points higher than what he usually did. Seems like seems like they're playing rather well. I mean, 4 and 3 to begin the year. I don't think they'll have uh Clay Thompson again. I think he did something with his leg again. He's out for the rest of the uh, out for the year again. One of the big surprises right now is the fact that the Knicks are actually a 4 and 3 actually above 500 right now for their first seven games of the year. Actually, one of the things, uh, one of the funnier things is uh, Philadelphia, the 76ers, some people I see online saying, trust the process with the Eagles. Well, whatever process is working now for the 76ers, it's working. Definitely a lot, probably a bit of excitement with uh, Doc Rivers. That's the best I could say. I mean, I don't know. They could surprise people in the uh, in the Eastern Conference. NHL, I don't think, begins their season until the 13th next week. So, I'm trying to look at other stuff for basketball. Eh. What a cluster mess that is for uh, the Houston Rockets. Just a number of their guys getting tested positive and so far not a good way to begin the year being 2-3 and three and all. Actually look at the Heat. They actually, eh, nothing all that good. 3-3. Three and three. Just crazy. And, and on video games, just briefly, so uh, I'll talk I'll talk about only one thing. I was going to talk uh, Cyberpunk, but since there's a lawsuit potentially going on with the developer, I'd like to see where that goes actually next week. But the big thing, this was like a week or two ago, and 
So, KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, they actually made a computer. Mic drop. <laughs> so, KFC has made a worked with a company to uh, to make a to make a console. And it's like a like a computer console, I believe. And this was this was announced back in the summer via from looking at an article from Forbes from from almost two weeks ago. Console wars are over. Introducing the KF console. Hashtag power your hunger. So a partnership with uh, PC Maker Cooler Master, custom PC, capable of running games at 4K, 240 frames per second, Intel Nuke 9 Extreme Compute Element, which houses an Intel Core i9-9980HK processor. So basically, this is like one of the hot new type of computers in terms of technology. Hot swappable GPU, meaning you can upgrade your console down the road. Storage is a pair of PCIe NVMe Seagate Barracuda 1TB SSDs. Solid state drives. Twice the storage you'll find on an Xbox Series X. Nearly three times that of a PS5. And VR ready supports ray tracing. Now one of the other things is a chicken chamber. Man, so it's a chicken chamber. It keeps keeps your chicken warm. So I guess if you order fried chicken from a KFC or I don't know, like a Church's or uh, Popeyes or several other places, you can put that in your uh, in your computer so that when you want something hot and ready or warm. You can uh, you can have it ready for you. Is there's in the Forbes article. This is I'm going to read. I do not recommend using this chamber for chicken, however, or for any other edible goods, especially ones with crumbly breading. It's a novel concept, but probably not very sanitary. This can't be a good idea for the computer itself, and I'm not sure you you should eat chicken that's kept warm inside a custom PC. Besides, KFC isn't exactly the kind of food you should eat while playing games. Finger licking good, maybe, but way too messy. At least, very least, wash your hands before grabbing a gamepad or a mouse and keyboard. Forbes knows what's up. Forbes knows the deal with gamers. They don't like washing their hands, and you got, and you got some of these people that will eat anything greasy. And I'm, and I'll be the first one. I'm guilty of doing that sometimes. You know, but I'll I'll have I'll have towels ready for me. You know, I'll, I'll have napkins ready for me when I eat certain foods, especially if I'm eating something like a pizza, or or something greasy. You know, I, I think I agree. It no one should be eating chicken. Or no one. I mean, if you're gonna eat your chicken, at least have napkins on you, or at least I don't know, like hand sanitizer, so you can. 
you know, clean up any germs and, and wash your hands and all that. I, I actually agree with that article from a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I, think, I think this is going to be probably pretty pricey. It's got to be like, if I had to guess, probably over $1,000. Because if it's doing all this stuff, especially if, if it's going to have stuff like the VR, the ray tracing, the solid state drive, and all that in between, the hottest new chips inside the computers. I mean, excuse me. This gotta be this gotta be like well over a thousand dollars. I know gaming PCs can be pricey, but hey, it's maybe it's a cool thing that they do for like a year or so, maybe two years. I can't see people really getting into it, but hey, something cute. It's nice to see see a see a fast food place try and get their get back into you know give back to like gaming or something teaming up with um, teaming up with a computer company. I mean, as far as like fast food goes in gaming, I mean, you see places like Burger King, McDonald's, they'll do like Happy Meal toys based on certain properties, like Sonic the Hedgehog. And uh, Super Mario had times where they were at McDonald's. I think Wendy's might have had toys of Super Mario at some point. Angry Birds was at Arby's, I think, at some point as well. So this, so this ain't original, and so this isn't anything new. Excuse me. Uh, Pizza Hut at one point did demo discs for PlayStation. They did like three or four demo discs from like '98 through like '99, and I've and we had a couple demo discs, and I I love playing those demo discs, especially the one that had uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and Crash Team Racing. I loved playing the demo of Crash Team Racing. Really fun demo. I'm trying to think of other stuff. That might have been it actually, as far as like fast food companies. Nope. I take it back. Burger King. Burger King had an Xbox game. Now, I'm not sure what was needed to be done, but it was it was a game for the original Xbox and the Xbox 360. And they... Well, actually, a, a th- three-pack of games. One where it was just basically a generic kart racing game. You had Sneak King, which I think was the stealth game. And I, for, I think one other game was the uh, like a like an assortment of mini games. I think and it involved that King mascot that they had for like three four years. I remember that being parodied on the TV show uh, Robot Chicken, where. Uh, where they wind up like killing the king, which is actually uh, like the commercial guy's son or something. I forget. Burger King had some really creepy commercials in the 2000s, especially the the Whopper Jr. ones. The, that stuff was freaking creepy. That's something I probably would love to do at some point. Maybe, maybe that's an idea for next week. You know, talk about like creepy worst commercials that. I've ever seen in my life, and it 
it might all be different compared to some people, but hey, these are my thoughts. <laughs> so that wraps it up on episode 57 of Geeks and Jocks. You know what? Let's hope for a let's hope for a really good year. Let's 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 have some optimism. Let's let's hope things get back to normal for 2021. So, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, this is on Anchor.fm, but you can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear you listeners on the next podcast. Stay healthy, stay safe, keep yourself protected. Take care, everyone.